0: If we haven't met, my name is Cody Delk, and uh, it's good to be here this morning. And um, yeah, if you would like to talk more afterwards, I'd love to talk to you. We are going to be in John chapter 13 this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn there. You have been walking through the gospel of John the past 10 weeks, and you've made it through the first 12 chapters. Uh, But when we get to chapter 13, John slows down. He slows way down. First 12 chapters cover probably about three years. Well, the next five chapters are going to cover just a few hours. And so that begins with chapter 13 and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So what I want to do is I'm going to read the whole chapter. If you want to follow along, I'll be reading out of the NIV. And at the end of it, uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, Before I do, I'm just going to leave a minute of silence. And if your surroundings allow, a.k.a. you don't have kids, uh, I would ask that you enter into that with me. It's something the Lord's been teaching me. Um, Not to say anything, not to ask anything, but just to listen and just be still. So, um, does that sound good? All right, let's dig in. It was just before the Passover festival, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And if you are clean, though not every one of you, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Let's pray. Father, may you open up your word to us this morning, may you lead us deeper into the truth of who you are, may we see the Son in all his glory and spirit, may you work in each of our hearts, show us, um, show us our views of you that are distorted and show us where the gospel makes up for our inadequacies and our mistakes and our sin. And may we, at the end of this, find rest in that and rest in you. Amen. All right. We have a pretty simple and straightforward passage this morning. As far as what Jesus is teaching, I feel like that's fairly clear. Jesus kneels down, he washes the disciples' feet, and then, thank thank goodness for once, he actually explains what he did, right? (laughs) He says, I've washed your feet to be an example to you. I want you to go and do what I've done for you to other people. He's not saying that, you know, every person they meet, they need to go wash their feet, right? He's not saying that to us today. In fact, I would not recommend that, okay? He's saying that we must go and serve. Even if it's humiliating, even if it's not something we want to do, he's calling us to follow his example and serve. And so in one sense, fairly straightforward. Ah, but in another sense, this is a rather difficult passage, isn't it? Because who in the world wants to go do that, right? So we're going to try to answer that question this morning. How do we live a life of serving others? We're going to do that by looking at two points. Number one, that we must trust the Father and that he will use our service for good. And number two, that our service must be motivated by love. So let's look at the first three verses again. It says, just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so our first point this morning is that if we're going to commit to serving others, we must trust that God the Father will use our service for good. John makes it very clear here. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He knows what's about to go down. He knows what Judas is doing. And so it seems kind of strange because his reaction to that is to kneel down and wash their feet. We would think maybe Jesus would do something else, right? Like, I don't know, try to stop him or convince the disciples that maybe they need to run away because some bad things are about to happen. It's not what he does, though. And so we wonder why. Back to our first point, I think it's because he trusted his Father. Verse 3 says that Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that this hour at which was at hand, he knew that this was why he came. As you've been reading through John, it continues to say, his hour had not yet come, his hour had not yet come, it was not yet his time. My favorite's in John 3 when he does his first miracle at the wedding. His mom comes up to him and goes, Jesus, we're out of wine. He goes, Woman! It's not my time yet. I'm sure it didn't sound like that, but that's how I always, that's how I always picture it. This is funny to me. All right, And so his hour had now finally come. He had been sent by his father to inaugurate a new kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom where it wasn't going to advance through force and aggression, but service and submission. And Jesus had been teaching his disciples about this kingdom for the past three years. And so... As he enters into this last session of teaching, he begins with another act to show them that this is what his kingdom is all about. And that leads them to kneel down and wash their feet. And so, again, I tell you this morning that if we are going to serve others, we have to trust that God's in control of it and that he's going to use it for good. Because if we don't, we'll never make it. We may make plans to serve. We may even begin to serve. But as soon as we hit a point where we're unappreciated for our service... Where our service feels pointless, where in fact we're rejected for the way that we serve and love others, we're going to give up. And the only reason that we're going to move forward is if it continues to provide some sort of benefit for us, which would make it not service anymore, right? So, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Sisyphus. You ever heard of that? He was a Greek mythological character, got in some trouble, so he received an eternal punishment. And his punishment was this. They gave him a heavy stone. And they told him that he needed to push it up a hill. And so he would work and toil and sweat. And he would push this stone up the hill and then it would roll back down. And they had to go back down to the bottom and push it up again. So often, that's what our service feels like. That's what our work feels like. That's what we feel like as we begin to help others. It feels pointless. It feels like we make one step forward and then we take two steps back. But what we must see this morning, Jesus doesn't call us to serve so that we would see results. He calls us to serve because he calls us to trust him. I just want to make two notes on that. First of all, that doesn't mean we're robots. It doesn't mean when our service is rejected or it feels pointless that we don't get frustrated, that we don't feel anxious, that we don't feel troubled. Verse 21 says that Jesus felt troubled. I think Jesus is painted as the stoic figure who never reacted to anything. You've you've been able to, to combat that in the Gospel of John, haven't you? He shows a lot of emotion. He's the perfect man. He shows emotion in the perfect way. And sometimes he's troubled. He's so troubled, he literally bursts out. One of you is going to betray me. He feels frustration. He feels the anxiousness of this. The anxiousness later that's going to lead him to even so anxious that he would sweat drops of blood. And so as you begin to serve, as you continue in service, wherever you're at, I just want to encourage you, it's okay to feel things. Those of you in here that are married, you're going to feel things sometimes. You got kids, you're going to feel things sometimes. Kids, your parents are going to do stupid stuff, you're going to feel things sometimes, you're going to feel frustration, you're going to feel anxiousness. Everybody in here that's got a job, you're going to feel things. That's okay. It's okay to feel frustration, it's okay to acknowledge that things aren't going the way that we want them to. The problem is when we let let those feelings lead us toward bitterness and cynicism to say we're not going to serve anymore and that kind of leads to my second note on this that christians in the west specifically here in america we really struggle with this because we love results this is america we get stuff done right we are efficient if we looked at verse 35 it says by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, if we just cut off the end of that and then we went to non-Christians in America and we said, can you just fill in the blank there? You know, I'm a Christian. I just want to know, what do you think Jesus told us? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. What do you think they would fill the blank in with? Do you think it would be if you love one another? Got some things coming in your mind? These are some things I thought of. You'll know you're my disciples if you control the culture. If you go to church, if you vote Republican. People will know you're my disciples if, if you are successful and have money and power, or if you're comfortable. You think people fill in the blank with those things? Maybe not because they talk to you, but because they talk to other people who know Jesus or claim to know Jesus. How is it that we've fallen so far from this call of our Master? I think the answer is simple. We don't believe him. We tried to serve others. We've tried to love people, and then they betrayed us. They took advantage of us. They rejected us. They made fun of us. They mocked us. Or they did that to someone we know, and we thought, no, 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 you're not going to get me like that. I'm not to be taken advantage of. You're not going to reject what I have to do for you. And so what we've seen the church do over the past few decades and what we do in our own relationships is we resort to things like we try to gain power so we can force people to believe what we believe. Or we use emotion and guilt to get them to believe what we believe. That's not the call, though. And so I say we because I'm guilty of this. I do this in my marriage. I do this with my kids. I do this at school with my students a lot. All right. I do this all the time. And so what do we need to do if we've recognized that we've, we've entered into that in some stages, stages and areas of our life? It's very simple. We, we look to our king this morning. Jesus kneels down. He washes the disciples' feet. How is he rewarded? One of them, Peter, he's going to go off, and someone's going to ask him if they know Jesus, and three times he's going to say, no, I don't know who that is. The other ten, when Jesus gets arrested, they run away. And then the twelfth, Judas, Jesus washed his feet too. Well, he's getting ready to get up and leave and go trade Jesus' life for some money. And so in that moment, it seems kind of silly for Jesus to kneel down and wash the disciples' feet. It feels kind of pointless. But behind the scenes, his father's at work. His father's taking what he's doing and he's working it out for good because Jesus is going to take Peter who denied him and he's going to use him to preach the very first sermon and see 3,000 people come to Jesus. He's going to turn him into a shepherd that loves his flock. He's going to take the other ten and he's going to forgive them and teach them and empower them with his spirit to take his message to the world. And Judas, well, Judas doesn't repent, but Jesus takes his terrible act, the worst act, and he uses it. And what it leads to and leads to the cross, he uses it as an instrument for salvation for his children. That's what the father does. He takes our service. Even when we don't think it's any good, even when we don't think that we're making any progress, and he uses it for good. And so we must have faith that God can do that with our service. We must have faith that God can do that with our love, that we can go from here this morning and we can trust him to use our service for good, even and especially when we don't know how. Does that make sense? that sound good? It's hard, ain't it? That's why I like scripture. It's hard, but it brings you back in. That brings us to point two, love is the motivation. So Jesus decides to show his disciples what this kingdom looks like again, and he decides to do it with this act of washing feet. Can we just be honest this morning? Feet are gross, okay? They're gross. If you like them, good for you, but most of us don't, okay? I go to games sometimes, I wear flip-flops. My students see me, never fails. Every time one of them will look down at my feet and say, ooh, Mr. Doug, put your toes away. Every time, I'm telling you. Even more so in this culture, feet were not something to be dealt with. And they didn't have shoes that covered most of their feet, and they walked around in dusty roads, and they were dirty, so when they would come in, they would need them washed. And that was usually reserved for a slave. No upstanding, respectful Jew would kneel down and wash someone's dirty feet. But this is what Jesus does. And it's a humiliating task. You get it by the description. If we look at the detail again, it says, So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. John goes into this intense detail, right? Even at the end, he says, Jesus did so many things, I can't even fit them into this book. But he has to go into detail here because he literally can't believe what he's seeing. He can't believe that his master and teacher that he's followed for the last three years would kneel down and wash their feet. This God, this God in the flesh, God the Son, Jesus, who through whom all things were made, knelt down and washed the feet of human beings. Washed the feet of those who were going to run away from them. Why did Jesus do that? I think we get our answer in verse 1. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. Jesus washes the disciples' feet because he loves them. He cares about them. He doesn't curse under his breath as he's kneeling down. A lot of us have that that vision of God, right? Like we ask God for things, but we're really just hoping we catch him on a good day. Like maybe he's in a good mood, maybe he'll give us this thing. I'm reluctantly going to ask for it, he's going to reluctantly give it to me, and then we're going to do this again in a couple days. That's not the God of John 13. And we can't forget that that's who Jesus is and is a part of. God the Son and God the Father are no different. It's not like Jesus loves you and has to appease the Father's wrath because really he's not that crazy about you. No, Jesus has continued to say and again and again, I and the Father are one. What you see me doing, I see him doing. And so you can be confident this morning that not only God the Son, but God the Father, he loves you. He doesn't serve you out of pity he doesn't love you out of pity he serves you because he loves you that's why he does it or maybe i think this one's more common maybe we react like peter don't you love peter she's like i'm gonna wash your feet peter says no he doesn't know i think he says that because he's like i do not deserve this i don't deserve to have my feet washed i've been following you for the past three years you're my rabbi like i can't let you do this I think it probably leads to what he says at the end of the chapter. I think after getting his feet washed, that's what leads him to say, I will die for you. Feels like he has to make up for what Jesus has already done for him. Is that how you see God this morning? God is a God of merit. God will serve me and bless me as long as I serve and bless him and other people enough. That's what will get me there. The problem is when we do that and then God doesn't bless us, that leaves us with two options. Either we didn't do enough and we hate ourselves or we thought we did do enough and God didn't show up so we hate him. And that's a popular version of God, but it's not one that scripture gives us. It's one that comes from a heart that wants to justify itself. And all of us at one time or another has felt that. Did did the disciples deserve to have their feet washed? For the past three years, had they finally done enough to earn Jesus' love that he would kneel down and do this for them? No way. We already see how they're going to react to it. And so we can be sure that Jesus isn't motivated by pity. He's not motivated by merit. He's motivated by love. That's why John 13 is so awesome. It's so beautiful because we see the very heart of who God is. When Peter first says no... Verse 7 gives us Jesus' response. It says, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You will understand later. What later is Jesus talking about? One answer could be right after. Right after he washes their feet, he explains what's going on, tells them they have to go serve and love other people as, as the example that he's given them. And then even later in verses 31 through 35, he says, I want you to go love as I have loved you right? Very connected to that washing of feet. I don't think that's it, though. First of all, that wouldn't really be later. That'd be right after. And second of all, Jesus has already explained this to him before. He's been telling Peter this for the past three years. This is what my kingdom looks like. This is what you need to do. And even on their way to this, they're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. They still weren't quite getting it. And as great as the washing of the feet was, I don't really think that was going to do it for them. In fact, Afterward, the, the way that we see they react, it didn't do it for them. No, Jesus knew that they would understand later because Jesus knew they needed something better. They needed something more than washing the feet. They needed a, a more dynamic and extraordinary event, as dynamic and as extraordinary as this one was. We need the same thing. Jesus gives it to us, doesn't he? He gives it to us to it, doesn't he? If they couldn't believe their eyes... When they saw Jesus kneel down to wash their feet, imagine what they must have thought when they saw him nailed to the tree. Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of obedience because he trusted his Father to the end. He knew that God the Father was at work behind the scenes, taking the humiliation of his beating, his mocking, his crucifixion, and he was turning it and using it for good, ultimately using it for the salvation of his children and the forgiveness of sins. But more than that, More than that, Jesus knew that he had to die for you, but more than that, Jesus was glad to die for you. It was his supreme joy to go to the cross for you. Hebrews 12.2 says this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. How could Jesus find joy looking at the cross the cross was terrible the physical pain yes but even more the spiritual as he felt the wrath of his father as he paid for the sins of all his children jesus took that and looked forward to that with joy did he get joy knowing that he would glorify his father no doubt No doubt. That's what Jesus lived for, to glorify His Father. But what brought glory to the Father through the cross? It's what it accomplished. The cross accomplished salvation, and so when Jesus looked at the cross, He saw you. That's His heart. That's His heart this morning. When He looked at all that the cross would mean, and then He looked at you, He said, Worth it. Worth it because that's the love that he has for his children you might be thinking I'm crazy for saying that right now many of you probably think that sounds good for some people but not me no way not me you don't know what I've done you don't know what's going on up here you don't know the things that I've I've done and promised and fallen through and well some of you might be watching you're like I can't even step foot in the church you heard somebody say that so how do we know this morning? How do we know that what Jesus has done in washing the disciples' feet, He will do for us? How do we know that when Jesus went to the cross, that He did it for us? John twenty thirty and 31, that's kind of been a theme verse for this series. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John writes this gospel, this glorious, glorious gospel account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and performing miracles and going to the cross and rising from the dead, not simply for those who were there to see it, but for those who weren't. He writes it for us. Because the love of Jesus is available to us even today. That's why Jesus came. Not just for the people then and there, but for the people here and now. And so that's the invitation this morning. That's the invitation. To look upon our Savior. To look upon Jesus. To look at Him, kneel down and wash our feet. But more than that, to look at Him, go to the cross, and know that He did it because He loved us. That he looks at you and he loves you. like (laughs) He's not doing it for you because this is something he has to do. He's not doing it for you because he feels like maybe you've done enough to earn it. He does it for you because when he looks at you, his heart skips a beat. He looks at you with love and adoration and he wants to be your friend. He wants to be your savior. That's what he's going to tell him as he goes through the rest of these chapters. I asked a question at the beginning. I said, how do we live a life of serving others? I think we have our answer. We believe the gospel. That's why verse 34 describes a new command. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Why is that a new command? Jesus has said this before. In fact, the Old Testament says this. It's not like Jesus showed up and they just started talking about loving people. God had said that way back when. And Jesus had said it up to this point. But this time, he says the same thing. He says it's a new command. Well, it's a new command because it's going to be rooted in something different, right? He says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This new command was going to be rooted in the cross. Jesus tells them to love one another as he loved them. And he was about to show them the extent of his love for them. And we know what he's done. And we see what he's accomplished through the cross already. And so when we leave here this morning and we scatter as the church, that's our call, to believe the gospel. To believe the gospel and let it transform our heart. Some of you are going to be a little bit annoyed with that. I need a list. Give me something to do. That's not the call of John 13. Jesus doesn't give us a list. He shows us our Savior. And so this morning, the more you believe the gospel, the more you meditate on it, celebrate it, the more you study it, the more you experience it in the context of community, the more you experience it as you serve and love other people around you, it's going to transform your heart even more and more and more so that you can go from here today and wash people's feet and serve those close to you not out of obligation, although sometimes we have to do that. But you'll see us tra- him transform our hearts so that we would love people the way that he loves. And as we do that, have opportunities to share this message of hope with them. Mm. I close with the end of verse 1 again, because it's just too good. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Y'all ever read in the Psalms where it says taste and see? Man, drink that in this morning. That's good. That love is good. The gospel is good. Hopefully we can taste and see that this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then Josh is going to invite us into communion. Father, um, to the stumbling of my words Uh, May your word go forth. Um, May you eliminate the pride from my heart. And may you eliminate the pride from all of our hearts. And whatever it is that's holding us back, fear, idols, whatever it might be that's keeping us from loving and serving the people that's on our heart right now, may the power of your spirit and the truth of your gospel empower us this morning to do that. And I pray that we wouldn't feel guilt as we go to do that, but we would feel adoration for who you are. Adoration that you would love us despite our unloveliness. That you showed your love to us again and again. May we believe the gospel this morning believe that the cross is real, the, the resurrection is real, and that we can move forward, not in fear, not in shame, <laughs> not feeling like we have to earn something, but simply in freedom. In freedom. That you have bought for us with the blood of your Son. So thank you for that, Father. Um, Lead us now. Amen.